Part two, chapter two of Martin Schuler by Romer Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part one, Heidelberg, chapter two. Martin made a rough draft of the opera with the words and tune that came to him at the window fully inserted. He was anxious, agitated, and delighted. His heart leaped continually in long beats his eyes strained his fingers hastened his hands shook he wanted to capture his memories he wanted to complete his idea he knew that if he completed the idea the opera would follow in due time he put down all he could the destruction of the city the counter motif of constructive love ah beautiful love why adornest thou only the apple tree he emptied his mind he drained his imagination he exhausted the forces that he had acquired from the sunset and his sister's piano playing but instead of falling into despair when he could think no more he rose up happy because he was satisfied in his emptiness that he had taken out something vital something which to-morrow or the next day would be added to something which would act upon his mind and stimulate in him ideas desires and thoughts and so force itself to its own completion martin got his soft hat off the floor and paused before he put it on his head to gaze again at the perfection of the peahens he seemed to hear actors and actresses singing the beautiful unwritten tunes he saw himself applauded as he took a curtain on the first night all the usual dreams of future fame came into his head he put on his hat took up the manuscript and read portions of it again as he stood by the lamp he smiled because it was so good he held it very close to the lamp and the light on the white paper dazzled his eyes so that when he looked up he saw green and yellow blurs he put the manuscript into his coat and walked downstairs as young men do clamp clamp straight on his heels the yellow and green blurs swam before him down to the street door where they were dispelled by the light from the street lamp just above it he lit his pipe and sauntered round to see werner the street in which werner lived was dark and the houses were old and shabby sentimental britons would have considered it vandalism to rebuild them because they were ancient and picturesque though millions of generations of house fleas and worse pests had seen the light there and mice abounded it was unlikely they would be rebuilt for many years for the rich people of the town were moving to the west end and the landlords had a sufficient stream of low-class lodgers to make optimistic hopes of long leases still worth holding landlords will allow bad and worthless houses to stand forever all on the chance that some day someone will offer a fabulous rent for an unending term of years i am sure to get an offer next year they say i'll let it stand a year longer this is no time for building house property is the devil and thus old houses get older and poor districts get poverty-stricken until some enterprising man with pyramids of red brick at his command commits those abhorred acts of vandalism which ruin the town destroy the taste and individuality of the working man provide good and clean homes and ensure as far as a mere bricklayer can ensure the health of a future generation when the red brick begins to mellow and the roof to leak the landlord comes into his own again those pleasant years of procrastination and one can annoy him by quoting apt proverbs all containing the word time martin got to the door of the house where werner dwelt a carved face with an evil leer grinned from over the lintel the door itself was sparsely decorated with ancient and inferior patterns 
and the door-latch was an example in wrought iron of the bad taste that was considered good taste in heidelberg two or three hundred years ago martin pushed open the door and entered the house he shut it behind him and found himself in total darkness werner provided no lamp for chance visitors nor did the other tenants because there were no other tenants he lived there alone and he only rented one room at the top martin stumbled up the bare wooden stairs cursing softly by the time he reached werner's door his hands were begrimed with feeling along walls coated with damp dust and he was out of breath with the long struggle upwards and the fear of hitting his head against some beam or corner he knocked on werner's door with his knuckles and as the door seemed cleaner than the walls he rubbed off what dirt he could on it a voice growled for him to enter he went in the feeble light of two candles almost dazzled him he blinked and stretched out grimy paws to werner who actually got up to welcome him but refused his outstretched hands werner was quite fond of schuler and thought that perhaps he might make a name for himself some day he never said so or accorded him any familiarity on that ground but he was quite fond of schuler and thought better of him than he did of most people and schuler thought well of him he made schuler sit down adjusted the candles so that he could see his face and then sat down himself in a chair that nobody had ever known him to yield to anybody he wore a ragged red cotton dressing-gown bordered with a bad paisley design a pair of check trousers made in france in the year eighteen ninety and an unclean cotton shirt these clothes had been his father's and for eight years since that gentleman's decease their inheritor had worn them as a boudoir suit to save his cloth clothes werner was twenty-eight years old he was ugly and diseased berta's remark that he was like dante probably meant he was thin and foreign-looking his nationality was not to be guessed from his face for when his beard was long he resembled a cadaverous frenchman and in those periods when as at present he was clean-shaven he resembled only himself or as one of his friends said all the thin men in the world some beer was produced and martin began to open out his opera werner pretended to be bored and martin prevented himself from becoming chilled with the greatest difficulty when the panegyric was over werner muttered wagneresque between his teeth in werner's company martin felt a little ashamed of admiring wagner so he said no not the idea it is heartfelt werner still appeared to be bored and showed no signs of longing to write the poem about which martin had hinted very broadly for now he was in the present and the presence was so unsympathetic martin found it impossible to say outright look my friend here is your chance for fame compose the verse for my future opera werner sat and looked at martin and martin sat and blinked at werner and decided that he must take him out and give him some more beer so he invited him to rouse change his clothes and come and have supper with him up by the castle werner acceded and shortly got up and put on respectable garments drew water from a tap outside his door and threatened to go to hell before he'd go out with such a dirty-pawed dog as martin martin washed gladly and said he too would go to hell before he'd negotiate werner's stairs again without a light thus they became quite moderately gay and jolly martin in spite of the burden of immediate fame and werner in spite of his poor and miserable circumstances there was no moon that night and the stars were brilliant martin commented on this as they walked up the exceedingly steep hill to the castle 
it is always so without a moon he said the moon makes the stars pale does it not and puts some of them out i like these cloudless dark nights look at the great bear i only know her and the plough by sight that is the belt said werner as martin called it the plough and over there are the twins gemini lovely children i believe so at least but i am not an astronomer sometimes i wish continued martin that the stars were all planets and sometimes that they were all fixed i dream of collisions in space when martin schuler says let all the stars be planets werner actually began to laugh as they ascended the hill the last red light of sunset was fading into purple in the west the sun takes so long to go these summer nights said martin spring said werner may surely is spring call it spring why do you hurry the year over so quickly summer begins for me said martin when the trees are green and for me when the heat stenches the smell of the heat in the street is horrible i generally take a walking expedition with a few friends said martin dark forests the schwarzwald and the little lakes up there are cool and full of dreams and also of amusements for swimmers and fishers and stone throwers we take rucksacks and sleep under the trees on some days the girls come by train and we have fun fun with girls said werner that sounds nice you like girls of course you are young and have desires which is it you like best the girls or the desires martin laughed oh the girls quite frankly the girls he said we have great fun of course games and they scream and we are all jolly you all like showing off your arms and legs and your wits and your naughty stories and immediately you see a sign of the moon you become sentimental and pair off each one with the girl who has chosen him and kiss perhaps perhaps said martin it's fun i can tell you he blushed because he remembered the first experiences of love and they were not very far away they had hardly receded behind the veil of shame to that far place where they aroused no feeling they were nearing the restoration place up by the castle and could see each other by the glow of its many little lights which shone out making a multicoloured blaze red white and blue is an ugly combination of colours said martin who seemed bound to make ordinary conversation yes said werner especially when the light inside is yellow why can you tell me do places of public entertainment always oppress themselves with jewels like a dowager grand duchess he said this mincingly martin laughed i am boring you with silly conversation he said i am very hot and excited inside here i've given myself away you would take the meat out of a live crab werner there are worse occupations said werner meaningly i don't see the point said martin but werner forced it in with his eyes and martin blushed and almost said aloud better you mean than taking poetry out of live poets but he covered his thoughts with an exclamation about their proximity to the restaurant they talked no more and martin ordered a table quite close to the parapet whence the best view can be had this especial supper-place was not his haphazard choice he chose it because of its height above the city and because one could watch the winding of the river in a word because of its noble surroundings for he was aware that in noble surroundings a man often hears better presently they were seated face to face at a white table and martin ordered sausage and ham sauerkraut and beer for two and then in the last faint glow of the may twilight set himself the task of warming werner up the beautiful night had stolen over the town and far below on the black river lights sparkled 
lights shone in the houses and at the theatre and in the streets a universe of stars fallen to earth it was easy to pick out the constellations of the bahnhof of the market-place and of the principal wharves martin felt like a dweller in uranus remote and yet a companion of the planets as he sat with werner in the multicolored star of the restoration place he said so to werner who said he was far-fetched and rather taken up with the stars that evening martin ignored him and pointed out the theatre and what he imagined was the fencing schools and what he thought were the streets in which he and werner lived respectively and finally made a general remark about the equality of all places after dark when they were lit by municipal gas which was the same for all werner told him that if his opera was as unoriginal as his remarks it would be practically worthless werner was in a tedious mood the minor poets often assume and sometimes suffer tedious moods they are a part of the divine uneasiness that afflicts genius one is tempted to believe that great poets are always in a state of uneasiness and unrest always unhappy unbearable and morose always top-heavy with no sense of balance with eyes straining into heaven unmindful of the lesser things of life great poets should be selfish and exacting should have strange habits and wear strange clothes should have an excess of one virtue or one vice should thrill the lucky individuals who hear them on those rare occasions when they speak they have no familiar friends and no relations nobody calls them dick or toto or willie they address nobody as old boy old girl or kitty as all poets are the same to the crowd all poets are great poets more or less readable more or less comprehensible some people are so clever that they read goethe and browning and dante at least so people say one has to be clever to understand the incomprehensibles anybody can understand shakespeare they teach it in all the schools they teach goethe too but only clever people care for him and keep up with him afterwards nobody ever met a poet in the flesh there are not grades of poets but those we understand we like and as time goes on and we like the more difficult and at last the most difficult those left behind fall from grace and become bad poets poor poets minor poets such things do not really exist they are creatures of the minds of clever men men who only understand higher mathematics invent morse codes read arabic and know exactly without the aid of a dictionary what the bible means in the original and what german expressions homer intended when he wrote greek looked at from the point of view of clever men werner was a minor poet he had to work uncommonly hard to produce anything worth reading he had an acute sense of rhythm and would sweat for hours to produce lines to satisfy his sensitive nerves sometimes he had remarkable successes which few people appreciated because passion and ideas are chiefly sought for in poetry his efforts mostly resulted in a tour de force but after exerting his intellect like a mathematician for several hours to complete some ode he would suddenly sigh relax and scribble in half-consciousness a really good lyric he wrote twelve lyrics worth reading but these were the fruit of immense toil though they dropped off the branches of his labour like ripe peaches for they only came into being after long hours of conscious work upon something entirely different his works after his death were admired by philologists musicians of the better class who got a good many rhythmic ideas out of him and schoolmasters who found him pure enough to read to their pupils as an example of modern poetry 
his lyrics appeared in anthologies and thus misquotations of them spread to tombstones christmas greeting cards and birthday books for they had the misfortune to be clear and easy to understand if one did not care to see what they really meant while he was alive he never published anything partly because he was too busy and partly because he was too idle to struggle with publishers thus he remained poor and unknown till he died he was also a snob because he enjoyed privately all the posthumous appreciation that his creditors got werner drank out of a mug adorned with the arms of bavaria and looked at martin through the angle formed by the lid in the top of the mug his grey eyes were summing up martin schuler he was in a contrary mood and prepared to resist martin's enthusiasm but he was a little flattered because a young man desired to associate him with a dreamed-of masterpiece he continued to assume boredom and to drink measured drinks out of his mug and to say very little he watched martin finish his sauerkraut and sausage he watched him open his mouth to insert the beer mug he watched him put the empty beer mug down and turn on his seat away from the table he watched him adopt towards the night the attitude of a night enchanted young man and then pause and dream a little before he spoke on such a night said martin at length sweeping his arms wide to indicate it the beautiful peahen first disclosed herself to the amazed prince he lay on his couch beneath the golden apple tree and lo in the branches appeared a shining light o oh, whence dost thou thou bright illumination shall be the note for the prince o oh, whence dost thou thou bright illumination do you hear the movement it came into my mind just this moment as the moon came over yonder hill the peahen was as beautiful as the moon i feel the enchantment i feel the movement don't you feel it also not very clearly said werner in a voice of clay but nevertheless the extreme beauty of the night over the river and the silence of the may moon and the darkness of the vine-clad hill that had just slid from before her face and the youth of martin and the age of heidelberg were beginning to enter his mind and steal away his cynicism for all that he remained ungracious in manner he was not the one to give himself away when he felt a little romantic martin shifted his chair round the table till he faced the moon and could at the same time rest his arms on the table the moon stood opaque and unluminous in the deep purple of the lower heavens round orange and immense seen through the smell of new leaves and may flowers that rose in mist from the hills the hills stretched like a bow in the darkness along the river as it flowed under them from the east the heavy moon cast no shadows upon them and sent no shafts of light between their trees heavy and silent she stood while the horizon sank slowly beneath her sank as slowly as time slowly the veils fell from her the veil of mist the veil of heat the veil of the work of the day that floats up from the world at sunset and is dispelled by the night breezes slowly she became bright swift and cold a light-giver a shadow-maker diminished in size the naked spirit of the red-veiled disc the two men at the little glittering restaurant watched her slow transformation and one saw in his mind a lovely garden with green grass and jewelled flowers and in the garden a golden tree and in the tree a moon shining upon a bewildered prince clothed in medieval clothing the other saw nothing but what was before his eyes he became aware of it and lost himself in it and went away from his body across the river and for one short instant held the moon in his hands he fell to earth in a distant place where the moon shone white upon white mountains in an indigo sky 
he stood one instant in the antithesis of gold and purple and returned in the wink of an eye to gaze from where he sat with brooding memory upon the wide expanse that seemed large enough to be the world and the ascending moon that now seemed distant as the remotest star martin continued to talk and werner awoke from his moon memories to the sound of a well-fed young man's voice dreams were rare with him and he felt peevish with the voice for dispelling them the prince descends from the tree and then of course there is a love scene said martin that is very banal said werner but all the same directly he became aware of what martin's words meant he received an idea for a love song or rather saw an opportunity for introducing an idea that had long vaguely haunted his mind if you prefer said martin who felt suddenly angry there shall be a quarrel with swears and curses no said werner don't be stupid it is a very nice idea the descent from the tree and love to follow quite after the classical example i'll do my best for you but christ himself knows all love scenes are dull i'll ask monk growled martin he'll do it no no said werner don't do that martin remembered he was only twenty and saw in werner's attitude some sort of patronage which did not really exist he felt resentful you are a superior animal he muttered superior oh no said werner i want to write this poem for you martin had made his point without actually making a demand but he did not feel victorious werner went on it is not a bad idea it might be quite pretty though i see you are going to make common pitfalls i'll sweat them out of the poetic part even though you are too young to sweat them out of the music and my efforts will probably be wasted you ought to drop the whole thing like a penny and pick it up tail first to get a new point of view or you ought to walk all round it till it looks absurd and then begin the apple tree is a charming notion i wish youth and experience could be given to us at once i am in such a high state of technical perfection that i cannot write a really bad piece of verse without an effort and yet my dear boy lassitude he paused and looked martin in the face i am so bored that i feel convinced my first youth is over martin became sympathetic you're only young werner he said only young yet yes but i came into existence long before my mother sent me forth into the world what happens to the prince after embracing his peahen they lead the city to destruction and there is a final calamity through the interference of god a tragedy very dreadful an idea runs through it of the relationship of love to facts martin invented ideas as he spoke love though beautiful begets disaster disaster is the beautiful and right climax of love nothing great can be anything but disastrous sad truth said werner go on always always love brings disaster great things and noble things are incautious and reckless so they make omissions and do acts that turn to their destruction or they disregard some principle don't you think so jealousy and unhappiness always exist ready to destroy great things werner you and i can make something out of this werner werner my youth and your experience and what words when the city crashes into the river and what praises of love werner could not help an habitual lifting of the lip what unrestraint he murmured and what banging on the drum and squeezing of air through bassoons go to hell said martin give me your notes then said werner and some beer perhaps another mug will send me slobbering into paradise 
End of part one, chapter two. Recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine.